What is up, everyone? We know the last thing you need is another fitness podcast to catch you up on the newest trends and fad diets based off of popular opinion and not research. Enter myself and Tony. We made the Fitness Stuff podcast make exercise and nutrition science practical. Our goal is to expose misinformation in the industry by providing only evidence-based education, where today I am so excited because we got to sit down with Deanna, known to social media as Dietitian Deanna. She has over 200,000 followers on Instagram. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a passion for intuitive eating, overcoming food rules, and body confidence. Tony and I got to have a great conversation with her today. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Like so many of you out there listening today, she has tried many trendy diets and had a long battle with under-eating, orthorexia, and even overcame anorexia nervosa. In her private practice, she helps clients who are confused with their nutrition choices, grow confident in their food choices, and overcome stress and guilt around food. And we were able to sit down and chat a bit more with Deanna and dive deeper into how social media has perpetuated disordered eating habits, signs that your relationship with food may need improvement, and how to begin improving your relationship with food and incorporate more intuitive eating practices into your life, regardless of your goals. It was a biggie. But (laughs) before we get started, as always, a friendly reminder, the show is free. We have no gatekeeping. It's all open, open info, open doors. But the number one thing you can do to help support us is free. It'll take 15 seconds of your time. You could go rate this show five stars wherever you're watching this on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or just give us a thumbs up on YouTube. I think they even took away the dislike button. So, ha, if that was your opinion. Suck on that if that was going to be your negative opinion towards us. No more for you. A couple quick side notes. One, as always, y'all know. After the show, if you want to catch us in our Patreon, it's five bucks a month where we do weekly research reviews. You guys want more and more research and break down more of these studies. So it's exactly what we provide for you. We take the research, the boring, the complicated, the drawn out studies, and we break it down in an easy to understand digestible way that can be applied in your everyday life training, nutrition, dietary approaches, and so you can be more confident with the evidence-based approach in your lifestyle and your training in your nutrition. So that's on a weekly basis. A quick word from today's sponsor on the episode, which blends so, so nicely with Deanna, is from Eat This Much, Mariana and I's favorite resource, even from before we were partnered with them through our own coaching careers. Eat This Much has an incredible free selection. Like we say with all of our sponsors, with Legion, with Eat This Much, they have a ton of free resources that you should just go and check out on your own, where you can set your calorie and macro goals with access to thousands of meal prep recipes that fit your goals and preferences. But if you sign up through our app underneath in the description or our link in the description or go to eatthismuch.com forward slash fitness stuff, you get a few free weeks of premium where you get to plan weeks of meal preps at a time, meaning they give you every ingredient, every recipe, exactly how to make it, exactly how to separate it out. You get automatic grocery lists. You know exactly what to buy at the grocery store. It even calculates in your leftovers. So you get a customized every day of the week, you get a print email, your plans, and you can even sync it with your grocery delivery service if you go that route. So you get 20% off premium if you decide to sign up after those two free weeks that you get through the app. And again, that is down below in the description or just in the link in our bios on our social profiles. That quick word is over. We had a great conversation with Deanna today. It picked up and even started blending into a little of the entrepreneurial business side at the end, which I'm excited Mm -hmm. to get into. 
Hopefully you guys enjoy it. We're just going to blend it in nicely with our conversation now. Talk to you soon. Definitely want to get started with asking you more about what happened and what your journey was like before you grew an audience of over 200,000 people on social media. What were you doing before that time? When was that? And are those two people different? Oh, I love that. Who is Deanna outside of dietitian Deanna? Maybe two years ago, I burnt out from social media and I was like, how can I put boundaries around what I share. So how can I meld the two without it feeling like I have to share my whole life? So that was a huge come to Jesus moment that I'm able to focus exactly what I want to focus on online, but have my own life as well too. And I think getting pregnant and having my daughter was a huge part of that. I want to be part of this postpartum community, but I don't want to be a mom expert. I'm learning (laughs) it along with everybody else. Like I'm not planning to share exactly what I make for her every day to eat because I don't even know I'm trying to figure it out even as a dietitian. I feel like I am so much more me than ever before, but it's because I've just put boundaries around what I share. Social media is a funny place because you are changing as a person. So of course your content is going to change, but people are so used to seeing what they see. So how do I change in social media without letting my community down losing my community because maybe that change doesn't agree with them. But also at the end of the day, it's like accepting who you are. You can still grow and reach different audiences and different people. But I feel like when you first start, there's almost pressure of, I'm afraid of losing that. Like, what am I going to do? How do I change without people thinking I'm not who I am anymore? (laughs) It's cool to have grown up with my audience too. And now, even as I talk more about, I do help a lot of women who either want to have an online virtual business, counsel people either with online programs and courses. I do help women, dietitians, nutritionists, coaches in that way. So Mm -hmm. now that I also talk about that, women are really on board with talking more about business and money mindset. So that's a whole other side of my business that I've really transformed in the past year and been open to sharing. But I know we're not talking about that a ton on this podcast, but if you're interested in having your own virtual online program, I have my online entrepreneur academy. Why did you make that change? Going from dietitian Deanna to molding into kind of helping others grow a successful business like yours? I've seen success with my program Food Freedom Breakthrough, seen mm-hmm. so much success. So I have hired on people that support that program. I've also said I know other practitioners and women could build their own online program and sell it and make what they're worth and just growing the business to now 11 on my team. It's just something Mm. that really, really lights me up that as a woman in wellness in general, we did not learn this in school. We did not learn sales. We did not learn how to market (laughs) clearly or like niche. And you really need to do that online now and do it really authentically. I don't know what you feel about sales, but a lot of women are like, oh, it's so slimy. I don't like sailing. Selling feels like I'm begging. If you're wanting to sell something online, people want to learn from you, especially if you have any experience in the industry, fitness, nutrition, people want to learn that. So everyone needs to eat. So for you to be able to have that knowledge, you should put something out there and make an yeah. impact like you want to. And I think there's so many, specifically my program is across niches. I mean, it really works across niches, but dietitians are probably 
70% of the program. I think it's really because, oh, they're so, dietitians are so underpaid. We go to school for six plus years, plus an internship and median salary coming out of school is like 45K, I think. I think the people that get back on the sales thing is because you've seen sales done on social media, especially in the fitness industry so wrong so many times so i think that's the ick that people get right in their stomachs when like i don't want to sell because i don't want to do that but if you're selling with intent it's genuine i think it comes off yeah. so freaking different but it is i think that's the ick that immediately that's comes so up because i had that block too mm-hmm. where i was like i do not want to sell anything i was uncomfortable about putting anything out there that yeah. was asking for anything in return that just wasn't giving because mm-hmm. of that ick yeah. from so wow. many people but i'm assuming they they deal with it on their end too. But I think that's so cool. On, on social media, I know we're going to really turn it into there with, I mean, not even just from the business side, but from what social media is now feeding into our yeah. relationship with food. I know that's a big talking point that we want to get into. What have you noticed being on social media for so long, the changes that have happened over the last few years, positive or negative for people consuming fitness, nutrition, media? I'll start with positive that there are a lot more food freedom accounts. First, there's a lot more people in the food freedom realm. So I love that. Mm-hmm. Also, TikTok has started. I started my page right after a bodybuilding show in 2015, which is crazy. I was kind of here or there on it for a while until 2019 really is when I took it seriously. So I think mm-hmm. I maybe had like 50K until then. And then in the past, just like year or so. I think I've grown to over 200 followers. So it wasn't a super, super long time. I've only been focusing on my, truly on my business. I quit my full-time job just two years ago. It feels like it's happened all really quickly. I started out right after a bodybuilding show. So even myself, people are like, why do you believe in this so strongly? Because I myself literally went through this whole transformation and now I'm on the other side and I'm like, Wow. If I can change like this, where I was deep in a bodybuilding show, I never even released to my audience that I actually had a true eating disorder until maybe two or so years ago, because I just didn't want to be like put in that bubble of, oh, she has an eating disorder. Like, of course she struggled. Like I just called it Mm. disordered eating for so long. I just answered that question in the longest way possible. I'm sorry. No, no I'm so happy you with that. Yeah, you went that direction because I wanted people to who don't know you, our listeners, to hear that background. And there's almost this stigma that dietitians who have gone through an eating disorder, you bucket them into this one group, right? And there's issues everywhere, but that is something that the experience itself and going through it, so many people aren't able to come out of it, especially when it comes to competing. I've been opened up to that world so much more since TikTok, seeing how many people fall into an eating disorder after competing and 10 years later are still experiencing the negative effects of that because there were no resources to, okay, what do you do when you're done here? How do I eat? What do I do? So I'm happy that our audience got to hear a little bit more of that. Do you think with bodybuilding shows and more TikTok, I think there can be positive, but there's also so many things that I think women gravitate towards like the, what I eat in a days, the Mm -hmm. like really short videos of I lost 10 pounds by doing this. And it's like a certain supplement. I think there's just like so many more things that 
people can really grab onto quickly on TikTok. Where I was like going to stitch the other day, this girl was like, I'm either zero or a hundred with food. And I had 3 million views. And it was like, if I binge the night before, I just do a juice detox the next day. And it was just very aesthetic. And I think that's the issue is most like dietitian stuff isn't super aesthetic on TikTok. We're just trying to green screen ourselves in and be like, chill out. But yeah. it's really hard when people are seeing that. I'd like to hear diet culture almost sometimes I think is disguised as wellness. It's just a new way of saying that. Have you noticed that? And do you notice that coming, like hear any of that coming from your clients of like, oh, well, you know, carbs are okay, but if it's from a box, no, but I can still eat carbs. It just has to be the freshest food, like from the market down the street type of thing. It's all the same to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's just, well, is that clean eating again then? It's still a very minute look at food in a way that you can only eat the stuff from a farmer's market. It's great to be local. You know, it's great to do those things, but also how much stress do you have around food that you're, is not from the farmer's market? That is what's affecting your gut. That's what's affecting your whole quality of life. I think people always ask, can you have food freedom? What's the line between just like wanting to be healthy and food freedom? Because I have women coming into my program who are like, I literally don't know how to exercise unless it's about losing weight. Are you making those choices because it has to be about changing your body and like really scare tactics that you're seeing? Or is it the choice that makes the most sense for you and creates a simple relationship with food? So I think there is definitely just that fine line between what's helpful and what's not. Just by following you on Instagram, you're big on intuitive eating, you're big on body positivity. And I think a lot of those two things, like you just said, a lot of the social realm, it's almost abnormal to not have a body composition specific goal. Yeah. The mm-hmm. reason why you're working out is to lose weight. The reason why you're eating well is not just to be healthy, but it's to lose weight, to gain muscle, to do whatever it is. Where's your blend on how people see themselves in body image and detaching from those goals where it's like, I need to look a specific way. Like how can people balance being okay with their body, but wanting to change it for the best possible way? Tough question. What I usually see needs to happen first is like the reframe around how they're looking at their body. I think a lot of times when people come into my program, they have certain thoughts when they look at their body or when they look at food. And those thoughts can be anywhere from something, oh, this food is going to go straight to my hips. Do I even deserve this food because I haven't worked out enough today? This is too many carbs. First step for me is really making sure that you can reframe that. And I think if you are really, really struggling at the end of the day with food and feeling like it needs to change your body, I think you have to fix your relationship with food first. I really do feel like it's very hard to create a simple and positive relationship with food if you always feel like food is only there to change your body composition. Mm -hmm. That is my thought. And I think you just need to, when I go through my program, we have so many ways for you to reframe. Well, do I deserve this food? Instead of do I deserve it, it's figuring out your hunger and fullness. Am I hungry? It just needs to be simpler thoughts. Have I worked out enough today? Actually, am I hungry? And even as you're sitting down to eat that meal, if you're thinking, well, I don't know my hunger fullness. I don't know when I'm full. We have a ton of tools to figure out where you are on the hunger fullness scale, which I don't know if you guys have ever used one, but it seems like a really simple thing. But even like a tip I always say, if you're 
like not feeling like you're mindful with a meal, sitting down and just trying to describe the taste and the smell and texture to somebody else. Be like, I'm so not mindful with my meals at all. How do I just sit down and like actually eat this without feeling like I have to eat all of it or I have to walk away with only less than 200 calories because that's my meal amount or my snack amount. So hopefully that helps a little bit too, like a quick little tip there. This is just my experience in so many of my clients. I think when you come from a disordered eating past and you keep on trying to achieve body composition goals, I achieved body composition goals. I had abs, I had it all and I was I hated my body more than now and it's like 25 plus pounds more. I hope you can realize that for women, sometimes it's really hard to focus on nutrition if it's always about body composition changes. Not to say that's wrong. I'm all for if that's your goal, but I think you have to address the elephant in the room. And if you're always chasing body composition goals, which most women are always trying to lose the the last five to 10 pounds, sometimes there has to just be a change, a new way. And that's what I've been trying to show. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm getting after is, okay, so like, how do we shift people's mind from always needing to go somewhere and shifting from my understanding, from what you were just saying, you put your relationship with food before being accepting of your body, or do you think like accepting your body, body positivity comes first, then becomes food, then we can work from there or what order would you kind of put those in? And the goal there that a lot of my clients, I hope that they can t- get to is body neutral. So realizing that no matter what their body looks or feels like that day, they can still be in a good mood because they're neutral to their body. They realize that it doesn't take up 90% of their life anymore. There's so many other things that they can offer people other than their body. That's body neutral. Okay. I have honestly been wondering what that is because I feel like no one takes the time to like, I've heard of body neutrality. I've heard of body positivity. I've never heard it explained that way. I compared mm-hmm. it so much to body positivity and yeah. not really looking at them as separate. It's not this scale of like, you're getting, you're neutral and then you are positive. It's kind of like, no, this is a different framework. I almost think body neutrality could make you more confident because you're not basing your confidence on your body. If you're always looking to what your body looks like to make you confident, like, could you be confident in other ways? And maybe it's not body confidence. Maybe it's just self-confidence overall. But body positive is looking in the mirror and being like, I, and you, you've always hated your arms, right? And, and feeling like you have to tell yourself, I love my arm no matter what, you know, they're beautiful and I'm going to love my arms. I would never want somebody to feel like they have to fake it or lie yeah. to themselves versus body neutrality is being like not lying, just telling the truth. I love my arms because they pick up my daughter or, you know, like yeah. it's just a difference. It's like being first truthful and then realizing, yeah, I hope my definition made sense. Can you exist in your body without your body needing to be the main thing that builds your confidence overall. I really like that perspective. And I think just, this is a little side note, Tony and I were, I was just having a conversation with him about how I was just recently in Colombia, and it was the first time that I actively chose to wear one piece. I'm an introvert. I don't do much socially. Like I've had a history with bad body image, but now I feel like I'm doing great. I never really think about it. And that's awesome. But I also was in an environment that was out of my control. And I was like, "Mm, well, you know, what if my stomach looks this way 
And because I have IBS, like what if something happens? I'm going to buy one piece just in case. Well, that's exactly doing something of you're preparing yourself for your body to ruin your your self-confidence. Yes. That is like literally the epitome of what I what I did there. And I was trying to understand it myself. I was like, why did I do that? I feel like I never do that. And it's typically just because my mindset when I'm not out of control is just kind of like, I don't really think about my body that much other than getting through the day and being successful in other aspects of my life. So that to me then is body neutrality. Honestly, if you were always body positive, you might be like, I have to wear a two piece and I have to love it and feel like I look like a 10 out of 10 body neutrality removes the pressure of loving your body when you might not think you love it Mm -hmm. and only asking yourself to accept it as it is and appreciate for what it can do for you rather than it needing to be loving it and so positive all the time. Yeah, I like that. But I guess so still back to the, so if we call it body <laughs> neutrality, I think for people struggling that don't have that, who also have a, a not so great relationship with food, would you point them and say, okay, which goal or area should we focus on first? Do you think becoming more body neutral would help so much more with everything else? Or do you think bettering a relationship with food would help inverse. The process I use in my program that I see the most success with is first realizing what diet dieting has done to you in general, just figuring out why am I here now? What has the cycle been? How can I stop the cycle? I also help people realize like what about set point weight theory? So we talk a lot about when you have food freedom, you probably aren't going to be gaining 50 pounds, right? It might be like this difference in a small amount of weight, but then you're ultimately be able to live life so much more fuller without it feeling like I'm going to gain weight. Cause that's what a lot of people think with food freedom is like, I'm going to keep gaining weight for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be super, super obese and always eating pizza. So the first phase is that as well as uncovering, learning my hunger and fullness, because most people aren't eating breakfast, overeating later on, not eating enough, feeling like they're always thinking about food. We go through potentially what they're doing that's like hindering their metabolism too. I think that's a really important thing. And then we go through body image is my second phase. And then the third phase then is nutrition. So a lot of times people get in and are like, where's my meal plan? What am I eating? And I'm like, yeah. first we have to do all the mind stuff do all the body stuff, and then we get to nutrition. So even as a dietitian, I'm like, we got to work through this before I even let you think about all the gentle nutrition step-by-step things that we focus on for meals. Yeah. Does that help, Tony? That's what I like the approach about is because we're always big on this too. People always say it's like, oh, it's 80% in the gym, 20% nutrition. We're leaving out the biggest piece, which is mindset. We're leaving out the biggest, absolute biggest piece. So don't throw arbitrary numbers on those. So I like that that's the approach first is like, let's really get all these things in rhythm before we start focusing on all those smaller pieces that'll get us wherever we wanted to go there. So I'm not sure if you know this, but I, so I do coaching through Tony's business. And when I first started taking clients under its bloom training, I sat down with Tony. I was like, we need to develop almost this flow chart of starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't have people coming in with years of of dieting and years of food rules just rooted in how they view food and just almost their everyday habits in life, there can't be the expectation that we're going to jump right into any new active nutrition changes before we address 
this piece. And before we start working on our eating behaviors, understanding why we eat the way we do, why we think the way we do about food. And it's almost like learning about yourself and a lot of the behaviors that you've just subconsciously done for so long and disconnecting yourself from a person that doesn't align with why you're here, why you're, what you're trying to work on. I feel like that was the biggest piece. And that mindset piece is just not talked about enough. What's sexy and trendy sells on social media. So you're not going to hear people selling that to you often because that's a lot of work. That's doesn't, that's not easy at all. I feel like a lot of people have a lot of preconceived notions about food freedom, intuitive eating. Are the two different? Are they the same? When you explain that to someone, what is food freedom versus intuitive eating or do they fall under a similar category there? I'm almost getting sick of the term food freedom though, because I think mm -hmm. it can be a blank statement for so many things. People even use it in so many different ways on social media. Like you can have food freedom by tracking your macros, right? And that to me isn't food freedom because I tracked macros for a while. I helped clients do that when I first started out. I was like, and now I've had almost all the women that I helped prior now go through my program and be like, oh yeah, this is a way better way to live. I just don't want to track macros or use a scale for the rest of my life. So food freedom and intuitive eating, I would say are kind of one in the same. And for me, it's almost like, are you helping people lose weight or not? I think you can help people lose weight still in a food freedom type of way by helping them overcome their dieting past. I am not anti-weight loss. I'm just anti being an unrealistic weight for you. So what that means to me is figuring out your set point weight and being okay with a range rather than it needing to be, I have to lose weight. Everyone starts intuitive eating wanting to lose weight. They think yeah. I haven't lost weight any other way. So this is the last resort, right? Macros mm -hmm. didn't work. Keto didn't work. So intuitive eating, they go into it like it's a diet because you've been dieting for 30 years. Very normal. Yeah, because you're looking for this to be your answer to this much bigger problem. Like yes. you're looking to intuitive eating to be, okay, this is going to finally fix why I can't lose weight or why I may be binging or why I'm always thinking about food. You're not intuitive when you eat, but that can be intuitive. Like maybe overeating yeah. sometimes and not being the most mindful because of whatever environment you're in. Maybe you're doing something socially or you overeat a little bit because you're out with your friends, you're having a girl's night. Like Maybe that's not the most intuitive, but that can be like kind of not really thinking about it. Oh no, I overate. I'm a little bit full like versus the, I overate now I have to do X, Y, Z type of thing. I'm not sure if that made any sense. I think what you're hitting on is potentially when people, yeah, I think there's two different things. Like first, if you feel like you don't know your hunger fullness or all, at all, and you're like maybe deeper in disordered eating, you need like mechanical eating first where you need to be eating three meals, three snacks. It doesn't matter what your hunger mm. for, like they're all out of whack. So that's yeah. probably there. But if you feel like you're also been dieting for your whole life, there are like four different types of hunger. So I think a lot of people think intuitive eating is like just the hunger or fullness diet, right? There are different types where there is practical hunger, where for me, if I know I'm going to be on four hours of meetings, I need to make sure I'm maybe eating potentially a little bit more than normal so that I can make it through those meetings without being like ravenous at the end. You know, there are definitely nuances to it where mm -hmm. it's not just physical hunger, but it's also emotional and practical mm -hmm. and taste as well too. You're allowed to eat when you're not just fully hungry. And for me, that's made my relationship with food even more simple. I eat dessert every night, no matter what. 
And I have for yeah. years and years and years. And that's made my relationship with food simple because I always know that's going to be there if I want or not. It's not an option anymore. It's just like, you're going to eat mm-hmm. it. And that's just made me at the end of the day, just be more simple with food because it's always going to be there. You know, no, no matter if I have salad or pizza, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have something after dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I am like, I'm trying to contain myself right now. This is so funny because since I started working with clients, but also even personally, what you are describing, let's stay on top of hunger before hunger gets too high and we lose that control. Because again, you want to feel in control of our decisions. We don't want to feel like we're doing it for some external reason, but you add hunger into the mix and hunger makes it so much harder, especially if you have a history of maybe a little bit of binging or restriction, like, and we want to stay on top of that. Okay. I'm going to eat a little bit more here. Or I know I really like sweet food. I'm going to always have dessert at night. And so we keep throwing around hunger and fullness cues because I know we probably all use them in coaching. What are some ways for people listening that might be like, okay, I keep hearing that term thrown around. I guess they're starting to realize maybe I don't know my own hunger cues or my own fullness cues. What are some practical steps you think they could take right after this episode, take home today, that they could start looking for resources to improve their understanding of that? I love that. I think Googling hunger fullness scale, looking at what like a zero to 10 is at the bottom of the scale, like on the left-hand side, if you imagine, is like a zero or one and you are dizzy, nauseous, shaky, anxious. Two is like maybe annoying, empty. So zero is crazy, crazy hungry. 10 is like painfully full, binge eating full, sick. Like Mm -hmm. nine is probably like Thanksgiving, you ate a ton, you need to unbutton your pants. That would be like a nine where your goal really is to be in between a three and a seven. So five is super neutral. The University of Michigan did a study where if a lot of women try not to eat until they're like a one, right? Where they're so hungry. They're like, I don't know how to listen to my hunger cues. And they start eating at a one. The research, it's like a pendulum, right? Where left to right, it's more like that ball in the middle where you're going to swing probably to an eight or a nine because you started Mm -hmm. at a one. And that's very typical when you're trying to hold off meals, when you don't eat breakfast, when you're only eating, when you're super starving, it's hard to feel your fullness. It really is. Mm -hmm. So you usually go past a seven. So the goal is to start around a three when you're like, okay, I think I need energy, that kind of sign and get to a seven, which is that satisfied. I do like every week when I check in with my clients and in the beginning when we're working on more so understanding your hunger fullness cues, because that's one of the biggest principles we start with first. It's okay. How hungry were you before you started your meal? And how full or how hungry were you afterwards? I really love that you attached those physiological and psychological feelings to it because that can really help you think about, especially if you're going from extreme to extreme, what could more so a middle ground look like? How could I feel at a middle ground? And who do you think needs that scale the most? Who do you think is out there that might maybe not be using it? for whatever reason, who do you think needs that scale the most or that could benefit from that the most? Honestly, everyone, Tony, I think where most people go. So have a lot of people say, oh, I want to track my food in your program. And I say, you know what, instead of getting on my fitness pal and tracking your meals, how about you track it by writing down 
like what you had for lunch, right? And writing down your hunger before, for, and your fullness after. So I really do think it's just a different way to think about tracking your food without it being so perfectionistic. Because I see women, perfectionist type A, hard on themselves. Those are the clients that come to me that are high standards for themselves. So they feel like they're literally tracking like a sprig of cilantro, right? Mm. So if you can just write down like salad kit at lunch and you were a three before and a seven after and any, I also ask for like any emotions you're feeling before or after eating as well. If you were feeling really anxious before and you didn't like feel like you were even mindful and what you were after, you were probably like guilty because you had no idea what you were eating and you just shoveled it in. So a lot of those trends you start to see over time. And that's what I would rather see instead of, I ate 238 calories and 20 grams of protein at lunch. Did you just throw a salad kit in a bowl and like we can tweak it from there, right? That's the shift that I would want people to make is doing that exercise rather than going straight to downloading my fitness pal and feeling like yeah. that's how like they everyone need to evaluate. Could benefit. Yeah, yeah. Everyone could benefit yeah. from that point of view. And I was going to say, now, let's say someone starts using this, which would be, I think, super helpful in understanding that because people throw around hunger cues all the time without explaining <laughs> what they are, how they do it. So people are confused with that. So okay, now that yeah. they kind of understand where it is, let's say they constantly are in that pendulum, always going into meals at a one, two, swinging over to like a seven, eight, nine. Yeah. And they're trying to take steps to improve it. This might be too context driven. What are some things that people could do if they're constantly finding themselves stuck in that circle? to get out of it? A lot of the goals I see people set at the beginning are one, eat breakfast. I see a lot of people just skipping breakfast and trying to make it to lunch and then just eating whatever at lunch and then, or just eating minimal throughout the day. So I would say like, have a real breakfast, front load your day so that you have some calories going on. So it's not, you're overeating every night. So that's a lot of times a big goal. Other goals with hunger fullness, cause you had asked, oh, if people are like doing the pendulum swinging. People are truthfully really scared of their hunger and feeling, oh my gosh, if I ate this yesterday, this is exactly what I need today. And I think macros teaches that. It's like every single day needs to be the exact same, right? The exact same amount of nutrients at the exact same time. So I think women are like pushing off things. So a lot of times I'll say, did you eat enough at breakfast? Did you get enough protein at breakfast? Let's add in more if you didn't. Are you eating like carbs? It's just like tweaking so that you could feel like you're full for three to four hours instead of only full for an hour. So I think that would be mm -hmm. the tweak too, is like making sure you could potentially go for three to four hours after a meal instead of being hungry again after one hour. That to me sounds like you didn't have all the macronutrients in a meal either. Um, yeah. The thing there is like people feel like they have to eat at a certain time or only eat what they ate yesterday. So I would say like honoring the fact that your hunger is going to change and working to honor your hunger and eating when you're a three rather than feeling like you always have to be a one. And I feel like that's where people, that's where a lot of the misinformation about what it means to have food freedom has come from, because it's not this idea that eat all the time, as much as you want, whenever you want. Yeah. It is to listen to what your body is telling you and to be cognizant of what those hunger and fullness signals are telling you because that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's really uncomfortable. And you think that you're going to be on this perfect journey of overcoming it and it's messy. We're talking and about pl 
plateaus in another episode as far as even just like weight loss plateaus, strength plateaus. But I think people forget a lot of times, like you just said, plateaus happen in any measure of progress, improving your relationship with food. It's like, you're going to have plateaus where you realize you have a ton of unwritten rules that you're like, crap. And it feels like you're stuck and it feels like you're backwards. I'm glad you said that to normalize it. And even you touched on the food rules tip that I always give clients too, if this helps somebody is if it's something like Oreos and you feel like you buy them and you're just eating all of it, I always say have it with something, in something, or with somebody else. So add it on your plate at lunch, right? Don't feel like you can only eat it at nine o'clock and then you're overeating it. Have it with a full meal. Have the salad kit with some protein and the Oreo. Have it in something. Have a Greek yogurt bowl with your normal fruit and nuts and a crumbled Oreo. Or make it an experience. Put it on a board. Invite your friends over and have it with other people so you can have that mindful, like, moment and you're building up your quality of life around food. So hopefully that helps too. It doesn't have to be just like a free for all with food. Especially with the the clients that you get, there's going to be a spectrum coming in of how deeply rooted are these behaviors and how extreme are they? Because it is like us for some people, especially if you are recovering from an eating disorder and this is where like I stay in my own lane. I'm not a registered dietitian. This is like why we were really excited to talk to you more about this because there are those people that it's like, no, based off of how little you've been eating and the behaviors that you've been engaging in, like almost, can you prepare someone for, you are going to feel out of control around these types Mm -hmm. of food. Is that something you do or is it like you work on it as it comes? I know everyone's different, but especially with the more palatable foods, like you hear, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like, oh yeah, one Oreo. Okay. How am I just going to have one Oreo type of- (laughs) I think the feeling of losing control around food is something that keeps a lot of it stuck. And so Mm. working through that, that mindset of, well, are you losing control or has it been food that's been controlling you the whole time? I just think you have to switch that script in your head of, I don't have to control food. It's a hard thought to wrap your head around and we work through it. But we Mm -hmm. just covered this on my call last night of like women that really struggle with the release of control of perfect around food, perfect Mm -hmm. around what they see in the mirror. And so to, I think just, yeah, switching the script. I know you primarily work with women too, but with going back to kind of like the bodybuilding industry and and men in that industry, when it is like macros, so cutthroat, like this is what I'm eating every single day, almost like being like normalized. I want to say when a lot of men struggle with that, like in terms of how that affects your mental health, well-being. do you have any tips for men specifically? Is it the same thing? Like in that bodybuilding space, maybe signs that they might need to work on this or to be wary of, or if they're thinking about working on it. Honestly, the men that come into my program are pretty similar with feeling like they've gotten to this weight because of certain behaviors that they're so scared to let anything Mm -hmm. go. They're intermittent fasting or how much protein they're packing in a day or their routine around their workouts of what they're consuming. Or I think most of my men have either been really interested in like nutrition and nutrition coaching and like this black and white view of food. So for them to come in and learn this approach, that's more about like 
listening to your hunger and fullness is very different for a lot of guys. I think guys are super black and white with like, just tell me what to eat. Tell me how many grams of protein I need and I will figure it out. And I will, many of my guy friends in general are just like, I don't get it. Like, just tell me what to eat. Am I allowed to have chicken wings or not? So being able to do all this deeper work, I think a lot of men need who are working on that perfect structure and perfect routine. I opened up a macro coaching business with another guy and he's even like taken a lot of the principles that I now teach into his macro coaching business and does a lot without, without doing anything with macros first and really a more well-rounded approach to nutrition. So I think men can absorb it all in the same way. Cause I see men in the same light. Men and women are very different, but I definitely think it's like, if a man has struggled to lose weight and get to a physique but they want food freedom and they're really struggling to say, I'll lose all of my hard work, just like women do. It's so normal now when you see it on social media, especially if you get in the wrong side of social media, a lot of guys weighing out every single gram. It's like, oh, I ate 10 grams under my protein today. I got to eat 10 more grams tomorrow on top to make up for it. Like such bad. It's like, yeah. hey man, we might need to yeah. talk about this more because that's what getting into this industry over the last few years, Mariana have, and I have talked about how much more prevalent disordered eating tendencies really are a lot more than is talked about. And now I think it is becoming more normal to talk about. And at first I saw it very heavy on the female side. And then in the last year, and especially when Marianne and I talk about more higher level, like sports and competitions, you do start to see some of these trends in men, but it's almost labeled differently when you yeah. see it there. And I think a lot of it is like that, just realize, oh man, this might be an underlying issue that I need to work on. So it's mm -hmm. cool to see it all come up together. Same approach, you just have to realize where you actually are. Where do you think like some yellow flags might be going off for people in that kind of side or in that industry? What are some yellow flags? It's like, hey, like you might want to work on your relationship with food a little bit more. You might want to do this where they might be happy. They might be cool. But what are some things that pop up in their life that you think could be a sign that they might need to improve their relationship? What are some things that might be popping up that might show that they're forming some bad habits, some bad rules that they're going to need to rely on for the rest of their life if they don't address it? I was going to even ask you, Tony, like, what are you doing these days? Or do you feel like you're an intuitive uh, eater? Are you tracking everything? I would say so. I was actually talking to her, we Mariana, just having before this conversation. we were on this, because it was when I was probably late teens, early 20s, I was more in the bodybuilding physique side. I'd work out at the Phil Heath's gym in, in Colorado. I would weigh every gram. I would do this. I would even like, I was telling her about body image when I was younger. I didn't think I had a body image problem, but I would literally wear like long sleeve shirts on leg days because I would lose my upper body pump. Looking back on it, yeah. you're like, wow, this is a problem. But now, I mean, I've gotten to a point where I'm just pretty neutral with my body, where I never think positive or negative towards it. It just doesn't really kind of pop up. So I mm. track macros and usually just protein and calorie intake when I'm trying to make a bigger change. If I'm like, okay, you know what? For performance-based reasons, I want to gain 10 pounds. I'll start tracking a little bit more to get a better idea, but then I ease off of it. And I know just over years of doing it a pretty good place to be for my body. Mm -hmm. I guess I would say intuitive, depending on your definition. I think people think I'm like so far on the one side of you have to never track food. I literally was there a few years ago. Like I literally helped people track macros and like do bodybuilding shows just a few years ago. So when people are like, you have no education, you don't get it. I'm like, actually I do. <laughs> I literally did that. I just decided to make a change, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause I think people see me like as this mom and like, you don't care about physique at all. And Tony, I love that you're able to focus on it to gain 10 pounds and walk away from it. I 
posted this reel the other day that's like some nutrition coaches will keep you like bulking and cutting for your whole life because they just want you to come back for more money. And I <laughs> hope that yes. didn't like it hit the wrong way. My program's money. Like any program where you want to focus on your nutrition is going to be money. At the end of the day, are you helping people walk away with like tools for the rest of your, their life? Or are you saying we're going to cut you now and then another three months we need to bulk you and keep on that cycle? And I thought that was healthy when I first started coaching. I was like, oh yeah, then I can coach people for two years and they're in these cycles. There's definitely something wrong with that. And that's what I see with a yeah. lot of men. But I love it, Tony, just back to the question. It sounds like you have a really cool balance where you're like, I want to gain 10 pounds of muscle and that performance goal. And it sounds like it's more performance even than needing to actually have it be 10 pounds of straight yeah, muscle that, or whatever. Well, that, I noticed that helps a lot with performance-based goals rather than specifically body composition goals is usually people make better progress with whatever their composition is when it is more performance-based because you have a good why behind it. There's a good reason. When you get to that neutral standpoint with your body, it's like, I don't want to weigh 10 more pounds. I don't want to build 10 more pounds of muscle. It's not going to give me anything from looking that way or feeling that way. It'll just help this goal over here. That's why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different that's why, cool. which allows you to detach from it. You know, I think that's it. I mean, you hit the nail yeah. on the head. It's a totally different why and the performance goals. Heck yeah. I had a feeling that I love that people are listening to this. And I was like really excited to have Deanna and Tony chat with each other because especially with we I've been seeing a lot more on social media nowadays with this like registered dietitians like fitness coaches there's almost like this like dichotomy or like the two there's so much back and forth of who's right who's wrong where in any industry you're in I don't care what it is there's going to be people that are good at what they're doing people that are not so great one of the reasons why I started working with Tony too and he's a mentor to me as well is I've never seen anyone really in the space of fitness, performance-based training, have this mindset, also someone who owns their own coaching business of, I want to have these people as long as they need to be here in order to be able to have good tools and tips to improve their relationship with working out, nutrition, whatever it is, and leave. The less time, the better almost. And again, that's not a money-making tactic, but you don't hear that enough, especially in the coaching end of things is like, you're not here forever. You grow great relationships with clients, but there are so many tools that I want you to have that you can feel confident in leaving and taking those with you. And like Tony just opened my eyes to that. And I just think it's really cool to see that so many people think there's just an extreme of like, you can't. Well, it's rare to have a business you. coach as well, like yourself, who's not just so number driven. <laughs> like how can we increase income? That's not always the goal of business, especially with dealing with people's health. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. How can I make a lasting impact on the world? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen a lot, because there's a lot of business coaches nowadays as well. And I'm sure you've seen some people who do it really, really well. And some people who you might disagree with <laughs> some of their practices a little bit more. What made you choose when you were getting into business coaching? Because that's probably, the, would I say, am I wrong if I'm saying that's a more recent evolution of like your professional goals? Yeah. In the last like couple of years, is that's what shifted it into? Yeah. When you went in that direction, was it kind of nonchalant, almost like it didn't even, it wasn't even a decision to you just to bring those same ethics that you work with clients beforehand into your business clients? Yes. It was truthfully a need. I didn't, I, my audience just asked me like, how did you build this like mm. online program and how did you find your ideal clients online? And so it was just built from a need and it was less like, I think everyone needs sales skills because those are mm. life skills, but it was less like cringy sales. Let me like use your emotions to make you buy something that's expensive. And it's more, 
I'm so confident in this program because I see the success. I literally have like celebrity past clients who are now like way cooler than I am. That is so cool to me that I could be like the first or the second or the, like sometimes a lot of times people will have invested in something either cheaper or like in a different coach and then come into my Mm -hmm. program and be like, this is what I needed to figure it all out. I've been a part of their journey and that's all I could ask for. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And it's so telling about a person as well. And we're always, especially entrepreneurs, we're all entrepreneurs here. You're always trying to grow in some way and you're always trying to better yourself, but there's a fine line between growth and then seeking just more because where you're at isn't enough. And I feel like once you start Mm -hmm. to lean that way of, I need more, I need more clients, I need more money. I, I need to be the biggest and the best at this versus, okay, what is my why again? Why am I here? Why did I start? And it is very, I feel like so many people when they're embarking on their, whether it's a weight loss journey, improving their relationship with food, whatever it may be, kind of skeptical of a lot of coaches because it almost seems unrelatable. But when you're truthful to your why and why you're doing this, coming back to why you're doing this, always having that greater purpose, it is so similar to when you are trying to improve your relationship with food and your body. Why, 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 why am I doing this versus what's, what's next? What's, how am I going to be the best at this or look the best or whatever, seeking that external driver. And I think that that is just, it's, it's so telling of your success and the people that you work with success, because it is clear as day why you are here. I just think that's really rare to find. It is cool. When you shifted from bodybuilding over afterwards, did you have your daughter close after bodybuilding? Cause I know you were saying like there was that come to Jesus moment and it was after bodybuilding around when you were having your daughter. What was that moment for you? If I missed that. So my issue is that like I was coaching with my good guy friend in the industry who has a supplement company and we were doing macros. It was really successful. I was making great money. So for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I have to step away from this, figure out my own thing, know that I want to go somewhere new in the industry. I was successful in that regard. And it was for me realizing, like Mariana just said, like, this is not what I want to be remembered by. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, this is not my why is to help people like continually lose weight. It's what did I need 10 years ago when it was this type of stuff, me showing my pants being unbuttoned because I ate too much, me showing that my body is not perfect. It's the stuff that I needed. And that's my why is like helping women with their relationship with food. Even today, like being in Washington, DC, everybody works for like the NIH or the government or the FDA or everything around here. So it's funny when I'm like, I'm a dietitian online, like I have online programs and I help other, you know, women open up their own online business. People are like, oh, I need to come to you like to help me figure out what to eat. It's a lot different than you'd think. You know, I think my come to, it was a tough moment where I had to like literally shut down part of my life to start a new part of my life. And so I think a lot of people see the success now and are like, wow, it's always been this way. No, I had to make changes in my life for this to happen. I'm so, so grateful for what I have is because I had to pivot and it worked out. So I had to overcome all the stuff I'm asking clients to, and here it is today. And a lot of times during that pivot, it doesn't feel like it's going to work out. (laughs) speaking from experience when you take that pivot because yeah everyone sees you right now and they're like oh they're happy they're confident in what they do they knew they got there but i can't tell you how 
freaking scared it was when I actually. I feel like I'm still in that pivot. Like I'm still mid pivot. Mid pivot. (laughs) Mid pivot. It's a little scary. It's always scary though. It's always scary. But you gotta go. We're cheering for you. Mid pivot is the best. Mid pivot is always fun. The. (laughs) I'm even pivoting now. I love that we're talking about business because people know me as a food freedom dietitian, and now like pivoting more into business stuff, which I know that's not part of this podcast at all. But no, but it's again, it's like another pivot like it's it is it's kind of i think this one though might uh, tell me if i'm wrong this one seems i don't like using the word like easier but like less resistance than the first one because the first one seems like it was a complete shift of everything ethics like where you wanted to work this one is almost like a continuation pivot it is is that closer to what it is no it totally is it's just Mm. i think it's just harder with the social media landscape because you have to be like in this perfect little box of why people follow you so i don't know if you guys feel like that like sometimes it's hard (laughs) only sometimes (laughs) it it is so odd too because it's like it's shape the algorithm shapes that for you to be in a box because yeah it's strange it's a strange world but i know my why i've been able to it's sometimes it's just being able to piece it together like for me it's overcoming diet culture as well as overcoming dietitian culture but i help more than dietitians like the dietitian culture of being underpaid undervalued like all this stuff also like women in owning their own business only two percent of female-owned businesses ever hit seven figures in a in a year like two percent so i just think there's so much that women struggle with like Mm -hmm. understanding how or wanting to start their own business yet every woman wants more flexibility to hang out travel be with their kids or dogs yet we're like so pigeonholed and we would never think about our own business because we just don't have that mindset as women so i'm hoping to change that culture too oh yeah we had zach uh, the other the only other dietitian we've ever had on was zach cohen he's big on social media you might have seen him a little bit he's a dietitian with a beard cool dude but same thing we were talking having that dietitian talk where they are so underpaid. So a lot of people would be like hesitant to even go in that direction. And yes. he kind of took the same route too. It doesn't limit you to where it's like, you can be paid. He shifted his mindset, right? Like you can be underpaid as a dietitian, or you could take a different route and make it work for your advantage because the yeah. world needs this, which yeah. is huge. Yeah. I think out of the box, like my parents are, literally have no idea what I do still. They're like, you created a business <laughs> through Instagram. They're my biggest fans, but at the same time, they're like, I still don't get it. So my parents would have, I mean, they told me to work at the hospital, a local hospital after I graduated. And I was like, no, I kind of want to do something different. So think yeah. outside the box yeah. for sure. Parent comment kills me because I'm in the same exact boat. Same. <laughs> I try and make it relevant, but it's like, yeah, yeah. you know what I do? <laughs> do you know what's going on? No. I talked to my grandparents and it's like, you spent six years of school and you're, you're unemployed. Nope. You just quit no, your I'm job? Re- yep. I did. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no, quitting your job. They're like. What about insurance? You're like, I'll figure it out. That comment killed me because you're like, yeah, you're like, no, I'm doing my own thing. I quit my job. They're like, oh, so you're unemployed. You're like, no, I'm doing my own thing. It's like, oh, yeah. so you're unemployed. You just send good. over our tax documents. Definitely not unemployed. Yeah, he's my yeah, yeah, grandma. No, okay, that's funny. Reeling it back in because that was that was a funny conversation. So last question to close it out um, before we let people know where they can find you. But what's one piece of advice you would give to your younger self before you fell into bodybuilding, fell into the disordered eating? What's one piece of advice you could give her if you could when it comes to your relationship to food and to your body, if you could have one? I think just following up on the last thing we were talking about, like it's okay to pivot. It's okay to not keep feeling like I have to look like a bodybuilding fitness person. It's okay to pivot in your Mm -hmm. thoughts and in your goals and in your mission as a person. It's okay to, you know, do things when you're not ready, whether that be 
starting a business, like taking the first step to invest in that, having a baby when you feel like you have no idea what the heck you're doing. So I think just like challenging yourself in your comfort zone and getting the F out of it because you will never grow if you're not. I love that. Being yeah. less resistant to change, I think will it gets people so far and especially when you hear success stories. I love that. That's perfect. Deanna, where could we find you? Where could our audience find you on social media? You've mentioned your incredible business. Where could they go to get more? Check me out. I'm, I hang out on Instagram. So DM me at any time. The most at dietitian Deanna. I think people think there's a C in there. It's D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. <laughs> D-E-A-N-N-A. People like to throw like a C somewhere in there. Yes. Is, yeah. uh, or TikTok. Yeah. I'm dietitian.deanna. And then you can also find my business coaching program is linked through that, through my um, profile on Instagram. So Online Entrepreneur Academy. And then I have my podcast, Top 10 in Mental Health. It's Deets with Deanna. And we talk more about okay. all of this with other experts in the field, other powerhouse women in business too. Awesome. Incredible. We'll link all of that in the show notes for you guys as well. And thank you for coming on today. It was such a pleasure, Tony, Mariana. I love you guys. Nice to meet you. I know that was a great conversation. Awesome. All right. Bye-bye. Tell your 3.30 we say hello. Thanks. (laughs)